Welcome back, everyone. My name is Michael LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. And thanks for joining us today, Tuesday noon. Uh, we do our live weekly updates on everything that's going on in the markets and touching on other areas. And today, appropriately, I think we're going to talk about risk, uh, both risk in portfolios and risk we see out in the markets. Uh, I apologize if we're having, if you're watching live or on the replay uh, later on. Uh, for some reason, my little window box here is glitching. I'm not sure if that's showing up on the video on your side, but uh, it looks like the sound's coming through uh, fine. So hopefully uh, we'll, we'll go through that. Uh, and on the podcast, it should just be a sound. So it should be no issues. Uh, so as always, uh, keep in mind, everything that we cover off here uh, is for information purposes only. Um, don't take, uh, or if you're going to use any of these strategies or anything we talk about, do do your own due diligence, or, or as always, go to mikeonmoney.com, reach out to us. Uh, happy to answer any and all of your questions as it might pertain to your particular situation. Uh, if you are watching live, you can uh, pose questions. Just click that Q&A button, type in your questions. We'll, we'll try to get to them today as we go through. Of course, if you're listening on the podcast or watching the replay on YouTube, just uh, just fire us an email and reach out to us. Uh, we'll answer all your questions. So with that, let's dive right into things. Uh, so this week, uh, we're looking for the manufacturing numbers out of New York uh, for February. And of course, uh, Canada's gross uh, GDP numbers uh, for December and for 2020. They're actually out. We'll touch a little bit on that when we get to the Canadian side of the updates. Uh, stock futures, again, continued to slide a little bit this week. Um, uh, both NASDAQ and S&P down. Uh, cover a little bit when we talk about the, uh, the, the bond rates or the increase in the 10-year uh, bond rate uh, and why we're seeing a little bit of pressure on the markets and how that leads more and more into risk. Uh, overall, we're one year into the pandemic. Can you believe it? We've been doing these videos for one year, trying to keep everyone updated. Um, not being able to have our live in-person sessions, uh, I, I think it's been going well. Uh, we've certainly gotten a lot of great feedback and a lot of great ideas from everybody uh, as to the information we can host on these things, and hopefully you continue to enjoy them. Uh, but we are into one year, uh, and things are starting to clear out a little bit. You know, if we look at the U.S. economy, uh, you know, it did miss a depression last year. You know, obviously the recessionary numbers even in the, uh, for a short period of time, uh, but we didn't get into the depression after, you know, basically taking a lot of industries completely to a halt um, uh, through, uh, through 2020. Uh, and, and now we're going into 2021 and we're starting to see things picked up. I talked a bit in January about the outlook on the travel sector specific, specifically um, and you know where we saw some opportunities potentially opening up there. Definitely in the hotel uh, and, and, and we are seeing from firms like VRBO, which is uh, the, um, the you know, rentals by owner, um, the, uh, and Airbnbs, uh, we are seeing to see more and more bookings, especially later in the year. I know myself, uh, particularly, uh, you know, obviously not being able to do any international travel, 
Uh, we have been trying to book something in the Okanagan, just, you know, weekend away here and there, and almost everything is booked up later in the year. Uh, so, so we are seeing some, you know, the, the bluer sky, or we are seeing some better indication that people are looking into uh, more travel, if, if not the same travel as they did before, but some sort of travel. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's looking up for the economy to continue to, to recover. SPACs, uh, if you're not familiar with SPACs, they're the venture capital uh, commercial favors um, that uh, generally are kind of different than what we call IPOs. Uh, IPOs uh, are basically, of course, a company's initial public offering. They, the company uh, will want to go public, so they'll know will raise money out in the stock exchange. SPACs, on the other hand, work reverse. SPACs raise the capital and they go look for a company to take public. So then a lot of people will invest into a SPAC not knowing what they're going to get in the long run as far as the company goes and the management or whoever's managing the SPACs. Uh, you know, they're responsible for finding a good deal, finding a right fit for, uh, you know, for the company, finding, uh, you know, the right opportunity for that particular investment. Uh, they've, they've done exceptionally, uh, or sorry, almost exceptionally well. There's been a lot of them in 2020 uh, and some of them have done well. Uh, but it's also part of this frenzy, which is that term I've got in there, stocks. Uh, if, you, uh, if you're younger or if you have younger people in the family, uh, just mention stocks to the younger generation and they will tell you it's a meme, uh, just about uh, kind of silliness to the game, game stock. Uh, if you follow the Reddit stream uh, that drove up the price of game stock temporarily, well, it's actually running up again. Uh, falls into that stonks category. So anyway, this is kind of uh, just pointed out a bit of uh, overwhelmed enthusiasm in the market around these things. Uh, we're seeing some, you know, some billionaires out there just dropping uh, money into these uh, these spacs, um, you know, hoping for it to go up. And the you know the deal's going up twenty five percent already, uh, and they don't even have they don't even have a company to invest into it. So it's just a pile of cash. Uh, and it's already gone up in value. So a little bit of uh, over exuberance, a little bit of speculation, a fever happening there, and that's gonna lead a little bit more into when we talk about risk. Uh, to go electric, of course, uh, America needs more mines, uh, and can we build them fast enough? So we, uh, we've talked about this, of course, the electronic vehicles, uh, and keep in mind, I think I've mentioned this a few times before, uh, when we talk about electronic vehicles, not just your passenger vehicles, you know, the car you're gonna drive every day, uh, of course, there's a lot of more, a lot more of those coming out. Volvo just announcing, um, you know, by 2030, 2035, they're going to be completely electric. Toyota's uh, come, just announced out some new battery technology uh, where they're focusing on electric. Ford, uh, BMW, Mercedes, everybody. And of course, you've got the Teslas and the Neos of the world uh, and a bunch of new entrants like Polestar and um, and Rivian uh, and Badger, which is Nikola, uh, all come to the market. So a lot of competition in that space, but where we're also seeing a lot of growth, a lot of push for growth is on industrial or fleet vehicles. So the heavy heavy trucks, transport trucks, mining equipment, uh, all, all that area. And, that, and, and that's where we really focus on the supply chain. So rather than trying to pick who's going to be the winner in all this competition, they all need kind of the same components, the same materials to build, regardless of uh, who's manufactured. 
So we're starting to see this really ramp up. Uh, you know, there's this case right now in, in, in Nevada uh, where there's a big lithium deposit uh, where this uh, Australian firm uh, suspect, or sorry, Ioneer, who wants to go mine that. Uh, but, you know, there was this cluster of endangered flowers. Uh, so they were, they were able to get in there and all of a sudden the flowers just died uh, and, and, and are gone. So now they're hoping they can get in there. And, and of course, there's now an investigation around what caused the death of those flowers. Was it any bad actors uh, doing that just so that they can, they can get in a lithium? But that's, you know, that's a bit of the, 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 the supply chain demand. There's, there's a lot of demand out there for the metals that go into these batteries and also the battery manufacturers themselves, uh, as opposed to just the cars. So that's that's where we like to, to invest. Hopefully, you know, we're also watching uh, for ethical ones, not ones that are out there poisoning, uh, you know, endangered uh, environmental areas uh, just to get at it, uh, and who acts uh, who mine on a renewable um, uh, in, in a renewable manner and not just kind of damaging the environment around them. But uh, so something to keep in mind: there is a lot of of, uh, of demand building up on the supply chain. U.S. factory activities uh, are at three-year highs, so it's building pricing pressure. We're seeing this across pretty much all industries. Uh, you know, going back to that inflation story we talked about last week. You know, when manufacturing and surgeon uh, raw materials are in demand, uh, prices go up, and uh, and nothing, none more so than uh, you know home improvement type products. A lot of people, you know, I call it nesting, uh, putting money into their homes. Because, of course, they're spending more time there. You know, the family's spending more time there. Uh, so, uh, you know, people are working at it. I was talking to a couple of uh, construction companies that do renovations in the last few weeks. Uh, no, I'm not doing a, a renovation. I was just simply talking to a couple of the owners. And, uh, you know, they were talking about, you know, plywood a year ago was uh, $19 a sheet. And now it's almost $50 a sheet. So, uh, you know, that just being a simple example of costs going up. Uh, but it goes right through to, uh, you know, faucets, fixtures, lighting. Uh, basically, everything is starting to see some inflationary pressures uh, in that supply chain uh, when it comes to manufacturing. So good news on that front. But at the same time, inflation uh, is starting to, to raise its ugly head there. Uh, Democrats, uh, of course, pushed through uh, the Biden administration, pushed through their their uh, relief bill uh, for the second round of stimulus or third round of stimulus, depending on how you look at it down in the United States, uh, the 1.9 trillion. Uh, now they're starting to sift through that 1.9 trillion and try to decide, you know, maybe we should do this, maybe this is too generous. And one of the things that they're wavering on is that $15 minimum wage uh, rate. Uh, so we're gonna have to keep, uh, keep an eye on that. Obviously, the Republicans didn't support it. Uh, they did push kind of the package through without Republicans. So that could cause problems down the road. Uh, so we're going to watch that pretty closely. Bitcoin. The Citibank is saying it's at its tipping point. Uh, we have seen some weakness in the rally there uh, as, as volumes kind of uh, went up uh, substantially, or buying volume, sorry, went up substantially, driving it. I think it got over the it got over the sixty thousand dollars U.S. Uh, per Bitcoin. Uh, we've seen some other cryptocurrencies showing a lot of volatility. Uh, you know, and more and more traders are getting into it. Uh, you know, when you have this frenzy, I saw Goldman Sachs, who had shut down their uh, cryptocurrency trading desk uh, back in twenty eighteen, 
after the last frenzy is just reopened again, you know, feeling they have to take part into this, you know, get make some money at it. Well, you know, the more and more of this is starting to happen, you know, the more concern we have of, uh, you know, whether we're going to get to a breaking point on on uh, on the pricing here. So, uh, you know, again, we have a video specifically on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. If you want to go watch that and get to get more information on that, my opinion, love to hear from you guys your opinion on it. Uh, of course, it is something new, uh, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of risk, a lot of opportunities in there. And, and a lot of challenges wrapped in all kinds of things which we've talked about in the past. Uh, Brainerd says the, the pandemic has started to sh uh, show a lot of uh, financial uh, systems flaws that need uh, a lot of reform. Uh, that's definitely true. Uh, you know, the pandemic, uh, the last administration in the United States, governmental administration, that, um, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of flaws out there. Uh, and, and I think it, it, it's really on us uh, as a society, uh, if not as, as people, to, uh, to look at what we learned through the pandemic, uh, what we saw, what the good things and the bad things, and to improve on those moving forward. And uh, there's been a lot of opportunity for, you know, it's been called the reset button to be pushed, you know, whether it's been on the energy sector to go more uh, environmental, uh, with uh, moving away from fossil fuels more, uh, not just the environmental impact, but of course the cost impact and, and, and the longer term impact on economies, uh, the financial sector, the governments have a lot of opportunity to, to fix things that, uh, you know, obviously came to light that, you know, there's problems and, and situations that need to be addressed. And, and certainly our sector, my industry is no different, you know, GameStop, uh, GameStop stock, um, you know, is a great example of that where, uh, you know, a group of individuals highlighted, don't, I'm not blaming them at all. In fact, they didn't cause this issue. They highlighted an issue that, that uh, you know, some, some billionaire, or, you know, the hedge fund industry has been exploited for years um, and, and often to the detriment of not just the markets, but other investors. Um, and, and, you know, they did the same thing. So, you know, they just brought it to the highlight or to the forefront of discussions. And uh, you know, so I think there's a lot of areas out there that uh, need to be addressed and improved um, as we move out of this pandemic. So call it a silver lining that we were able to, to see these, these issues and uh, have the opportunity now to address them. As far as the COVID-19 here in Canada, obviously uh, continued a little bit of stress on the rollout of the vaccine, but does look like it's getting a bit better. We're seeing some pockets of improvements. Uh, you know, the, the estimates I, I just read, uh, I think it was yesterday, uh, BC talking about by July, the vaccine will be open to all adults, uh, which is better than the previous expectations. Of course, we have the new AstraZeneca um, a vaccine approved here in Canada. Uh, some concerns on, on that one being not as effective. Uh, it, it, remember that one does not use the RM, uh, sorry, the mRNA, uh, the new technology that both the Pfizer and the Moderna one uses. Uh, and now we have the Johnson Johnson one coming out, which is a single vaccine, which a lot of people are excited about. Uh, and Johnson Johnson seems to be able to, uh, are ready to put out uh, some pretty high volumes, uh, shipping volumes right away, both in the US and Canada. Uh, and Canada actually was one of the earlier ones that signed a deal with Johnson Johnson 
uh, pre-vaccine be prepared. So Canada would be uh, eligible to, to receive a lot of those. So it uh, looks like things are, are starting to step up. Uh, and obviously the optimism in that is movement. I know here in BC, it's March that they're going to mass vaccination by age, uh, starting with those over 80. Uh, and I, Quebec has just opened some max vaccine sites also going by age. I think they're just finishing up the 80 year and above in Quebec and moving, you know, just, I think the next uh, level is 70 and above. Um, but we're starting to see that pick up. And if, if what we've seen in other countries is any indication, um, you know, once the mass vaccination starts, uh, that that uh, those numbers start to improve really quickly. Uh, we saw it in the UK, which had a really slow start, much like we saw in Canada, and then pick it up. We saw a bit in the US, uh, whose numbers are improving all the time as well. Now, of course, there's the new strains that are coming in, uh, which is a concern as to do you know do the vaccine are these effective with the vaccines which vaccines are better with the different strains still a lot of data flowing in there um you know early data says the pfizer one's better with it but of course uh pfizer was one of the early ones approved uh so there's more data behind it uh, i think that's going to be a little bit of wait and see uh, certainly certainly obviously getting as many people vaccinated as possible to slow down the spread, which will slow down those, those, those new strains uh, and limit uh, their impacts is, is the key. So, uh, so that's what we're moving forward with uh, around the world. And hopefully here in Canada, um, the numbers keep on improving over the next few months. So let's take a look at individual uh, economies. The U.S. Uh, still seeing more reported uh, targets expected to come out with the jump in fourth quarter. Pretty much what we saw with Walmart, uh, you know, boosted by, you know, a higher demand on good household goods, body, uh, beauty products, electronics, uh, you know, anything to improve the home, anything people are using inside the house. Uh, they, uh, they also put a lot of uh, investment behind their delivery system. Uh, so that became more efficient and cost effective for them. So the fourth quarter should look, you know, look pretty good. Uh, much like where we've seen other big uh, big box retail stores that mainly deal with consumer staples, right? Things we need day to day, things you want around the house. On the flip side, we've got Kohl's reported. Uh, we're expecting to be seeing decline in the fourth quarter. You know, sluggish, sluggish demand on apparel. You know, people aren't dressing up as much. Um, I keep on, I keep on. It's, it is actually a year since I put on a suit. Um, because just prior to the shutdown for the pandemic, I was in Mexico. I came back early, early March, and of course everything shut down. Uh, so it's been a year since I've seen my dry cleaner with my suits. So, um, you know, people are spending money on, on those types of, of clothing. Uh, and Kohl's also, you know, has a lot of discretionary goods. So discretionary side of things, uh, people have definitely cut back on and will you do expect that to, to continue. Uh, even with things reopening, I think the, uh, the high-end discretionary items, people are going to be a little bit slower coming back to, uh, still focused on, you know, that those staple goods. Uh, the Fed Reserve, uh, the Board of Governors are getting together um, to discuss monetary policy, um, as well as the San Francisco uh, Reserve Bank are having a committee meeting. Uh, to just to discuss how things are moving along. And this goes into, I mentioned earlier, that inflation. So we did see the 10-year rate 
uh, in the U.S. get over 1.5, almost 1.6, uh, you know, indicated inflationary pressure. So, as I've said for the last few, well, say six months, three to six months, um, you know, the, the U.S. Fed, the Bank of Canada, and many uh, central banks around the world. Uh, have all committed to keep rates low because, of course, you stimulate the economic recovery by keeping rates low. But that's the main quiver that they are arrow they have in their quiver to fight off inflation is to raise rates. Uh, so they're trying to hold off raising rates, but the market has started to push those longer term rates up or the demand on those up. So then we get into this this playground where they can use language, they can use other monetary um, tools to try to keep those rates uh, low and try to keep inflation as low as possible uh, before they have to start hiking rates. They originally had the goal of uh, three years without hiking rates. I've always said, if they can make it a year, uh, I'll be really impressed. Um, and, and they're still working towards that. So they're meeting again this week to discuss that and how they're gonna do, uh, how they're gonna maintain that. Uh, obviously they have new members down in the United States, with the new government. Uh, and so they're, you know, figured out their strategies and how they're going to go to best do that. Uh, but we did see those rates creep up. And that's what you're seeing that, that pressure on the market in the last two weeks is, of course, as rates increase, that puts pressure on growth, especially growth stocks, those speculative stocks. Um, not all growth stocks are speculative, but those growth areas, um, they need capital in order to grow. That's just the way it works. And as that costs more, uh, that slows it down, or if, or even the perception of that cost is more because a lot of projects or, or, or growth initiatives aren't kind of day one, hey, we're going, to, we're going to go lock in at these rates. They tend to mean investment of capital over uh, several years, uh, and if they think those rates are going to increase substantially, uh, that can affect the viability of that growth, um, that growth initiative. So, uh, so definitely, uh, you know, we're going to talk more about it when we get into um, the, the the foreign exchange uh, section here, but uh, but that that increase or that that, that drive was a bit of a scare to the markets uh, because 2020 most of the market um, increases were in the growth sector, not a lot of what we, in what we call the value sectors. Uh, we're also seeing uh, J and J, of course, coming I mentioned coming out with their with their stock uh, or sorry their shots. Um, they're ready to start shipping in one or two days as soon as the approvals come through. Uh, and and uh, both Canada and the U.S. are in line for some of that. Texas Power Company, of course, if you follow the storms down in the U.S., we talked a little bit about it in previous ones. Uh, so this was, they had the big ice storm, uh, their grid failed, a uh, lot of reasons. Um, so most, most provinces and states um, are all part of a national grid, meaning if... Um, you know, BC, for example, uh, you know, some of our main power generation uh, went offline. Uh, we could divert power from uh, other parts of the country, even from the US, into our grid. Um, Texas is the only state that is not part of the national grid. They have their own grid, uh, and it's part of them not wanting to be regulated. Uh, you know, it was by choice that they did that. They stayed out of the national grid because as soon as they connect into it, uh, they have to follow all the same rules and, re and regulations. Uh, and Texas, um, Texas leaders uh, decided that you know, for years, just not recently, that, uh, that they did not want to be part of that. They wanted to let the free market handle it. Uh, so back in 2011, I think it was, they had a very similar storm. 
Uh, same idea, power not as bad as this one, but power outages and problems. And there was a big study to say, how do we prevent this? Uh, there's a lot of recommendations about creating the power plants to deal with cold weather, to deal with these storms, which are expected to, um, in, in frequency to increase uh, massively over the next decade or so. And uh, uh, surprise, surprise, they didn't do it because they weren't part of, uh, they weren't part of the national grid. They weren't required to do those upgrades. And in an open free market that they have, competitive market, um, you know, added that cost to, uh, cost to their clients or to the customers to do those upgrades um, would mean, uh, you know, they put them behind, you know, one of their competitors. So, uh, so none of that was done. So they were hit really hard in that storm. And because it's a free market, basically power is priced based on demand. So uh, here, if we were to go to something like that, that would just mean during uh, main daytime hours, things would cost, the power would cost more than say overnight where demand drops off. Uh, you know, you see that in other areas where people will run their washing machines at night, uh, their dryers at night, because the power cost is cheaper overnight than it is during the day. Well, in Texas, they have that. And of course, that means that prices surged. And we heard stories that, you know, so people who did maintain power through it, uh, I think the worst one I heard was a $17,000 power bill for the month, uh, just to heat their home. Uh, and other ones, you know, in the four or $5,000 ranges. Uh, and, and one of the power companies who were buying power from another producer, uh, Texas Power, the cooperative, uh, wrapped up $1.8 billion in grid debt. Uh, and all the clients, of course, are saying, well, we can't afford the $17,000 a month bill or the $5,000 bill, so a lot of defaults. So they filed for bankruptcy. So we'll be looking for Texas, probably going to see a lot of reforms uh, as, as this is going to cause a lot of problems. Exxon, uh, Exxon Mobiles uh, has a new uh, uh, CEO uh, as investors were putting pressures to, uh, to shift their focus um, to more, uh, more green technology, more clean energy. Uh, and this is, you know, we're seeing this right across the, the, the fossil fuel sector. These companies, uh, you know, as we've discussed by 2030, the best estimates was that we were going to see a world decline in uh, fossil fuel demands. Not going away, just an unrecoverable decline, just like we've seen with coal industries decline and energy's gotten uh, cleaner, energy's gotten cheaper than fossil fuels. And of course, there's the environmental impact. Uh, we're seeing more and more companies and more and more organizations pushing to work with companies are uh, more favorable to the environment. Uh, so they brought in a, uh, a new leadership into the company who's gonna focus on shifting the, uh, the company to, uh, to grow their clean, their clean technology uh, divisions uh, and shift more and more of the business towards, towards that, which all in all is a good thing. Uh, AstraZeneca uh, just sold a, a big stake of their vaccine uh, Maker Moderna over in uh, for one billion dollars uh, to an Anglo-Swedish uh, drug maker and uh, just cashing out on the the, the current rise in price. Um, you know why not take the profits while things are high? Uh, not to say that the vaccine won't be needed long term, as it's probably going to be an annual an annual thing, just like the flu shots. Uh, but so taking advantage of the surge that's out there. United Airlines uh, took a, a big a big bet uh, that people are going to get back to traveling 
uh, for 2023, by 2023, and put in uh, 25 new uh, jet orders, but not any jet, but the uh, the Boeing 737 MAX 8. So that, that was the, uh, the jet, of course, that had the, the, the devastating problems with two, uh, two crashes that, uh, that took many, many lives and uh, was grounded for over a year as they figured out the problems um, and, and has been approved back uh, for, for use again. Uh, but uh, United uh, put, I guess, put their stamp of approval behind it by ordering 25 new ones uh, and hoping that, uh, you know, they will be back in the air at uh, full capacity or better than full capacity by 2023. Coming up in Canada, as I mentioned, the GDP numbers. Uh, so they did come through uh, for 2020. Uh, we saw, for the year, we saw a 4.5% drop in GDP, GDP, one of the worst ever, um, but not surprising given the shutdown that we saw. The, uh, the, the last two quarters were, uh, were growing back again, so we are seeing that recovery coming back. Uh, it has slowed a little bit, uh, so, um, uh, so we are growing, uh, or we are coming out of that slump uh, early last year, uh, but at a little bit slower rate than, than, than things were hoped for. Um, uh, Endeavor, uh, Endeavor visits, uh, Sorry, Endeavor is pivoting to, uh, to exploration to shake MA junkies uh, images after a deal spree. So Endeavor Mining, the gold, uh, gold producer, uh, is about to uh, list their, their stock on the London Exchange. They, uh, they just spent $2.7 billion over the last little uh, while doing several acquisitions in West Africa. And now they're going to just sit down, sit back and focus on uh, incorporating all those bits, you know, streamlining all those business into an integrated firm. Uh, so, uh, so that one we're looking to, to pivot away from buying more and more companies uh, as uh, and become more of a mainstream gold producer. Uh, and, and as always, we talked about gold being a great uh, inflation hedge. CAE, which we uh, we've talked about uh, several times, we've had it in the portfolio in the past. Recently moved out of it prior to uh, they've had a, they had a bit of downturn as their civil uh, aviation, so their their, uh, their uh, simulators that they train pilots on uh, saw a slump, of course, in 2020 uh, with the uh, with the slowdown in uh, um, travel. Uh, what do you call it? Vacation travel. Sorry, my apologies. Uh, and, but they just signed a big contract for the military training um, simulators, so uh, so good for them. So we're, they're seeing uh, a, a better outlook for 2021. Uh, the Canadian, Canadian factory activities accelerated uh, on that vaccine optimism as well. Much of what we've seen in the U.S. There was a little bit faster, of course. They didn't shut down as much as Canada did, but on the vaccine uh, optimism, we're starting to see that pick up. Um, and then uh, six weeks, uh, six weeks sprint into the Indian-made astrometric approval into Canada, as I mentioned, that's been approved now in Canada. Uh, we'll start to see that so that one come in. Seems though that uh, uh, the Canadian administration is more excited around the Johnson Johnson one. Uh, and as I mentioned, they did do sign an early deal uh, with Johnson and Johnson uh, for their vaccine availability. So that one might be the one we see come through sooner than later. On the foreign exchange, the euro fell a little bit against the U.S. dollar, uh, and that's just on that gap that they talked about the government bond yields, the ten-year government bond yields moving um, a little bit. Uh, we're starting to see inflationary pressures over in Europe as well. Uh, so the same concerns we're seeing over here 
which opened up that gap a little bit. Uh, and, and really, we're, this is something we're going to watch really closely. Uh, we did see the, I mentioned it got to about 1.6 in the US. Uh, it's down to about 1.43 now on the 10-year yields, uh, which is good. Uh, it was at a low of below one in uh, January 4th at the beginning of the year. Uh, but I, I think when I think if we get to the one six one one seven one eight range, uh, that's when we're going to see some real danger for growth uh, around the economy. So, uh, so we do have some buffer room. It has pulled back here, uh, and hopefully, we you know as I said, the the, the U.S. Fed and the, the Bank of Canada can use other tools rather than interest rates to stave off inflation, because uh, as soon as those rates start to move. Uh, we will start to see things shift. Again, it all comes down to unemployment uh, and those numbers. And, and I think as re things reopen and stimulus packages start to unwind, we are going to see that, you know, that real damage, damage in the economy. Uh, here in Canada, of course, we still have very high unemployment rates. Uh, the U.S. the unemployment rate is dropping. Uh, again, not at the numbers that we'd like to see, but it is dropping. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's really not to the levels that uh, would bolster the economy into growth mode. So we really need to see those, those continue as, uh, as we reopen here. Uh, on the oil front, we did see it slide down a little bit, um, still staying strong above 60. So uh, you know, still doing well as far as the sector goes. Uh, we are coming up on an OPEC plus meeting, so OPEC plus uh, the, the extra group of countries that got together last year to turn off or really slow down production around the world uh, as, as demand had fallen off. A um, little bit of concern that you, some of those countries are going to start opening the taps back up again a little bit too soon before demand really starts to increase. Uh, so that's something we'll have to watch. If we do see... Um, uh, supply start to increase faster than demand. Of course, that's going to put a pressure on, on the pricing. Uh, the goal of the OPEC plus meeting is to keep the countries to, to, to hold off on that, um, but we'll have to see the outcome there. And gold ticked slightly lower, not much a move, um, just as we see a steady decline in exchange traded fund, funds, uh, see uh, strong outflows. Um, but that's mostly on, uh, I would call that a patience factor. Uh, what we've seen is, you know, gold had a, a really good uh, mid 2020 move uh, on, the, uh, on the stimulus packages, on the inflation fears, uh, and then it stagnated a bit for the last half of 2020 and the early part of 2021. Um, and we've seen some people, uh, you know, just see growth in other areas. So they've, they've left that, or we're seeing the outflows of investors from that area. But really, uh, because we saw that growth, it, that, that's just inflation uh, in another form. Uh, so we, we, do still, we still see gold as your best inflation protection for 2021. Uh, and a great exposure, just keep in mind how much exposure you have, right? I mean, we have a few, a couple percent in our portfolios right now. We're likely to increase that when we start to see movement again. Um, but, uh, you know, just be cautious. So you don't want to have gold as, you know, 10, 20, 30 percent of your portfolio. Uh, if, uh, you know, if you, especially if you're playing it as a hedge, uh, it, it is still a commodity. So with that, let's talk about risk and what that means. Um, 
and, and you, you've heard me talk about inflation risk, you've heard me talk about market risk, but uh, really, you know, a lot of people, I, I find when we, when we say risk and invest in, um, you know, maybe a little bit confused as to what that means. Of course, there's the underlying risk of any investment that you're particularly buying, you know, what that company is doing, uh, or what the under, underlying fundamentals are that are moving the price or the, the return of that investment. But really, uh, risk is, is, is all about that, you know, be cautious of where you step, know where you're going. If you remember when I talked about the, the market bubble, um, you know, really understand why you're investing into something and what that means, not for the past year, but the year ahead or, you know, even the six months ahead. And, uh, and this goes back to, uh, you know, that buy and hold strategy that, you know, was popular in the 90s, you know, and, and this was a chart we saw all the time uh, saying, you know, okay, well, if you just held on to, uh, to, to, to your companies, as long as they were good companies, if you had just held on and you waited through the market, uh, you would do better. You just, uh, you know, the performance over the long term would be better uh, versus just miss, missing the 10 best weeks, right? Uh, so this is looking at a 15 year period. If you just missed the 10 best weeks in 15 years, you underperformed dramatically uh, versus if you just went for the full ride, which is 100% true, except for what they don't look at when it comes to risk is what if you missed the 10 worst weeks over that 15 year period, right? So what if you, didn't stay fully invested, but you just missed the worst periods. That doesn't mean you got out at the high and bought it at every low. It just means take out the 10 worst performing weeks and you weren't in there. Um, you would dramatically outperform the buy and hold strategy. And that just goes to understanding what the fundamental risks are in the markets. And the, the, other, the underlying market, the fundamental risk in the markets is uh, correlations, right? What's driving things to go up? What's driving things to go down? Sometimes it's something within a single investment that you're making yourself. So you're buying into one particular company, uh, something happens inside that one company and it might go down. But a lot of times the risk is market weighted. So something's happened in the sector or something's happened in the economy that is affecting things negatively. And even if no, even though the company you're invested into uh, might not be directly affected. It is being positively correlated. I mean, it's being dragged down along with other things. And that's the risk we can actually work to avoid in the portfolios. And, and I've always talked to people about it, you know, uh, that, 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 that diversification, uh, you know, it's often called 60-40 balance, how it doesn't work because its premise is that, you know, uh, for example, if bonds are going up, stocks go down, you know, as I mentioned, as yields go up, as the cost of money increases, growth goes down. So bonds should go up while stocks go down and stocks are going up, bonds should go down. Uh, so by putting in that, you know, historically, a lot of portfolios have put this buy and hold and say, well, if you just have the right mix of those two, uh, 60, 60% equities, 40% stock, or, or sorry, fixed income, um, you would be protected. But we're really talking about a three-dimensional risk in today's uh, efficient markets because a lot of things have changed since that original theory came out in 1952 is um, 
you know, markets are much more efficient. News flows a lot faster. Trading is more efficient. We have bloggers and we have bots out there trading. Uh, all these things drive to a much more efficient market. And what we've seen over the last 20 years is this third dimension of risk, which is correlation, which when things start to go down, everything starts to go down. Bonds go down along with stocks. Uh, nothing's really protected. And that's when we see those correlations start to become positive. When we start to see you know, something like bonds and stocks, which normally act completely opposite of each other, start to positively correlate uh, those early stage, that's early stage of risk building in the market. And it's important to adjust your portfolios when that starts to happen. And we're 100% starting to see the early stages of that happen. And that's why I caution people to, uh, to take you know, a close look at that. Um, because a lot of times, you know, if you think you're protected in, in, uh, you know, in a portfolio that says, oh, well, we're going to average this amount of risk. You know, when we talk about risk, we talk about volatility. Um, so, you know, a conservative portfolio of 6% uh, volatility or a, a medium growth portfolio of 8% volatility. Uh, and I can't believe we have to actually go back and look at uh, the, the, the bubble of 01 and the, the financial crisis of 08, but uh, that's kind of the ranges we're seeing right now is, is you know, during those times, it might average a 6% risk or an 8% risk, but there are periods in there in any average that it's much higher. And in fact, in 08, in a conservative portfolio of a 6% risk, average risk, it actually peaked out at almost 20%, right? And uh, during the same period in, the, in a growth portfolio, at almost 35% it peaked out. Yes, it averaged eight to 12 over the whole time period, but there was that peak period. And if you can avoid those peak periods of risk in the markets, you will perform a lot better. Many of you have heard me say before, if you have a million dollars invested and it goes down by 10% and then comes back up 10%, you are not at break even again, right? Because you don't, you only have 900,000 working for you at the bottom uh, after it's gone down. So you don't get back to the full million again. However, if you have a million working for you and the market goes down 10, but you only go down two, you don't even have to have the full 10% upside in order to get back to break even and you do profits again. So really important to protect and, down, and downturns. Um, be cautious, uh, be aware of the risk uh, in the portfolios. I think that in today's markets, more and more we need to be aware. Doesn't mean go to cash and stuff under your bed. Uh, there's still opportunities out there, but just be really aware of the risk out there. Uh, and, and be cautious of your long-term plan. Six months doesn't mean a lot in the long-term, especially when you're talking about risk. And you decide what's the right risk for you, right? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're willing to take a little bit more. Uh, maybe, you know, you just see that as, as something you, you really don't need in your life. So, uh, so with that, as always, uh, whether you're, you're with us live, you're on the replay or on the podcast, uh, if you want to talk about risk in your portfolio, uh, give us a call. Go to mikeonmoney.com. We're happy to walk you through your, your portfolio or review your portfolio um, if you have questions about another one uh, to make sure that uh, you're at least aware of everything that's out there. So with that, I'm going to call things for the day. Um, I look forward to talking to you again next Tuesday. 
Uh, we did put out the video on the flow through shares last week, uh, and we'll have one coming up for you this week on a deep dive topic. Uh, and as always, uh, send us in your ideas or, uh, or anything else you'd like to share with us. Uh, we love talking to you. So enjoy your week and talk to you soon.